0: The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. All right, I am really excited to study this passage with you. Uh, So much in here. Let's pray and ask for help because we need it. I need it. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak, and we thank you for the new covenant that you have given to us. And Lord, uh, it's our goal, it's your goal, according to this passage, that we see, really see, all the way down um, you and more of what you've done for us here. And so I pray that the same spirit who's mentioned in this passage, the spirit who gives freedom to see that he would come to us right now, in this moment, and enable each one of us to see what you'll show us, and see in a way that doesn't just uh, plink off our skulls, but in a way that sinks deep into our hearts and the way we believe and feel and live. And so uh, we look to you, Lord, we look to you to do what we can't, what I can't do, and And we rely on you, God, for the blessings of of the covenant you've given us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So on the very rare occasions, my wife and I get to spend time alone together. Um, We like to go backpacking, especially if we have... Uh, a larger amount of time. So several years ago, which was the last time we had such an occasion, I'm not complaining, it's our own fault, Um, we went backpacking um, in uh, the Yosemite area. And um, I don't know if you know this, but my wife is a monster when it comes to backpacking. So I'm trying to keep up, I'm trying to follow along. I think it was about the third night we made it up to this alpine lake, it was so gorgeous. Most of the lake is still frozen over. We found one patch of rock that didn't have snow on it for the tent. It was, just, it was just perfect. You're looking out over this alpine lake, these mountains. The next morning, well, the pass is just over here to the east, you know, the pass that separates the range from the valleys. And Well, we gotta, our, our pass takes us this way, and she's looking at me like, we got to go to the pass. I'm like, it's far. There's snow all over it. She's like, we got to go to the pass. There's no stopping it at this point. We're going to the pass. And so, man, it was a climb, and there was ice, and you're, it's one of those things where every once in a while you're, like, falling into your waist, and but we're just going up and up and up, and you'd look, and you'd be like, this is going to be work, but in the end, you're like, you gotta, I got to get there so I can see it, and it just kind of grips you, and we made it, of course. We got to the pass and saw just a glorious, glorious view of these mountains, I bring that up because that's the way I feel about this passage. This passage is like the pass, and there's a lot of work to try to get up to it, and you feel like, uh, I feel like I'm not even sure how to handle all of it, but it, at, at the top, there's a view. If you get there, there's a view to see, and it's, it's worth the climb. And, uh, and I like my, my, my wife's heart of like, we, we gotta get to the pass. That's, that's the way we should be with this text. We got to make it up to the past. So we're in a sermon series I'm calling Save Two. We're thinking about the life God has for us now. And uh, we've seen the last couple weeks that he has saved us to be transformed. We're remembering that the Christian life is not like a casual hobby. Can I get an amen, right? It's not something you add to your life for when you're not busy. Right? It's not something you add to your life for when you're not busy. It's new life different life. Honestly, it's supernatural life, a life that has been and is being transformed. Transformed. How many of you think transformation is difficult? I'm with you. It's difficult. And let's be honest, sometimes those who claim Christ, sometimes my heart just not even interested that much in God, cold towards His Word. And really the issue maybe is I'm far more interested in everything else oh, yeah, God. Okay, if your heart is like, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, God. No, that's not, that's not it. Oh, yeah, God, but this. No, no, no. God, right? What's, what's the biggest? What's the best? Um, you know, we need to ask ourselves, are you changing to love Jesus more and be more like him? Is a hunger for God evident in your life? And, and my question for this is, how do we experience the kind of transformation God says he has for us? Don't you read the Bible and sometimes go, I believe that, I want it, but I don't feel like I've quite jumped into that pool yet. Because, one reason it's difficult is because God's telling us to do something we can't do all by ourselves. Don't you love commands like this? Rejoice in the Lord. Wait, what did he just tell you to do? Be really happy. In God. Do any of you have like the happy button where you're like, oh, I forgot to turn it on today? <laughs> He's commanding your heart to go somewhere to where you're satisfied in God. And part of you is like, but I I'm not, or I can't, or how do I do this? You know? Uh, be like Jesus. Isn't that what God wants for you? Romans eight twenty nine. Be like Jesus. And you look at Jesus and you're like, seriously? <laughs> Love your enemies like Jesus. No. <laughs> I can't. How? What are you talking about? Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Think of the people you haven't forgiven. And think of this measure as forgiveness. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. How has he forgiven you? You better hope it's complete and total and not based on what you deserve. That's where you're supposed to be like, amen. Aren't you you hoping it's complete and total and not based on what you deserve? Aren't you hoping his forgiveness isn't based on on how much, how passionately you repented? Aren't you hoping his forgiveness isn't based on how much you can pay him back? And yet, isn't that the standard we use for how we forgive others? Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. What, how? How? God is telling us to do things that, on our own, are impossible. How do you really get? How do you taste? How do you? How do you enter into transformation that goes all the way down? That's the mountain to climb. Okay. But that's what our passage is after today. Uh, one principle to get to understand as we think about transformation. I'll say this a couple times so we can remember it. The Bible teaches. I'm pretty sure it's true experientially as well. You resemble what you worship, and you become like that which you behold. Let's try to plug it in again. You resemble what you what worship. You will start to look like what you worship. Uh, in, the, in the Psalms, they're like, "Why worship idols? You worship idols. Soon you'll be dumb and unmoving. Just like a little statue worship, you won't be able to hear either. It can't hear. You become like what you worship. Or you resemble what you worship, and you become like that which you behold. So the more you gaze at something, well, it, it affects you. It influences you. It changes you. You resemble what you worship. We want to remember worship is way more about which church you go to or what box you check on a survey, right? Worship is about what you want the most. No matter what you say you worship, what you actually worship, Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So what you, your treasure is what you love the most, okay? It's what, that's functional, actual worship, that ultimate treasure. It's what you want the most. There's your, there's your heart. It's what you're devoted to in your everyday thinking. It's who you want to please most seriously. It's your deepest goals. It's what you believe life is all about. It's where you get your values. It's what you find to be most satisfying. That's, that's what you worship. And not only that, what you worship, you're going to stare at because you love it so much and you want it so much, you're gonna gaze at it, you're gonna ponder it, think about it, you're gonna look for it, you're gonna pursue it, and your mind and your heart are gonna keep wrapping around it, and that thing is going to affect you. There's gonna be an influence of that thing you're gazing at. You'll be more and more like that which you behold, which, by the way, is why we should maybe be more careful with our entertainment. You become like that which you behold. I I don't know how much we can watch some things neutrally, You put dye in the water, it's changing the color. Humans, we influence, but we are influenced. Anyway, you resemble what you worship. You become like that which you behold. So, okay, if this is true, and it is, to be changed, if you resemble what you worship, if you want to be transformed, you need to see something worth your worship. You need to gaze on something so glorious that it grabs you so that you keep looking at it, you ponder it, you behold it, right? Then you'd be transformed. Then you'd be changed. We're in 2 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul is contrasting what he does in this passage with the work of some fake teachers that are messing with his church in Corinth. And so in this contrast, that's the conversation we're jumping into, he does this by comparing two covenants, okay, and the glory they each had. Now here's where we have work to do. Because, yeah, I just dropped two words on you, covenants and glory. That sounds so hypnotic of me and so Christian of me, and I think a lot of us, myself included, are like, wait, what? Because right now, yeah, that's what we're going to talk about, two covenants and the glory they had. Are you ready? It's important for understanding what's going on here. So let's just try to work on our terms a little bit. Glory. That word glory, did you notice? I think it's mentioned 12 times in these 11 verses. Glory, 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 glory. So what do you think he's talking about? Okay, glory. What is that? What is that? How would you explain it without church words? I always go to words like this. Beauty, deep beauty, and value. I think there's a combination there. What's really heavy or weighty? I think it's that Hebrew word means weighty, something heavy, super so beautiful, so valuable, so awe-inspiring. So the word when we say glorify, the verb when we say oh we're glorifying something, we're giving value or weight or worth to something. So think I think of that mountain I was on with that lake, and I'm like oh you guys it was so beautiful. I'm glorifying the there was a beauty there, and it made joy in me, and I wanted to praise it and share it with you. So beautiful so beautiful. And really, glory is what we're all longing for. You want it so bad. And this isn't just for Christians or this religion or that religion. This is the human heart. We long to see and taste what's glorious and beautiful and wonderful. We want to touch it. We want to be included in it. We want to behold it. We're longing for glory. It's what what satisfies us What we're made for, and we find little glimmers in lesser glories like, right, that are good things family, job, vacation, sports, possessions. And we think, oh, well, that's where all the glory is. That's where we go wrong. But the issue is not if you're looking for glory. Now, we we all are. We all are. It's it's where you find it. What you think is most glorious. I think it would make sense if you believe in God that. You know, Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. Everyone loves nature, it seems. It doesn't matter what your religious or whatever background is. Uh, atheists love nature, and they find it spiritual to look at it. You can't help it. It's, it's glorious. Mountains, sunsets, the cell, the stars, all of it. It's just, ah, wow. Humans have always been amazed, and the, the psalm tells us, well, you're, you're seeing the echo of someone He's glorious. God is most glorious. Okay, glory, the beauty, the awe, the majesty of God. It's what satisfies us. Second, God relates to people in covenants. Covenants. What is a covenant? Well, just for our conversation here in 2 Corinthians 3.6, Paul is talking about a new covenant. So just thinking upon this, if there's a new one, guess what else there was? An old one, okay? He's comparing the old one and the new one. And he starts with this. Look, the old one had glory. It did. The old one had glory. But first, what is a covenant? Try this on. What do you think? A covenant is a relational agreement with a serious promise of commitment. So you got two parties in relationship somehow, but it's more than hanging out. It's a serious promise of commitment. And there's two aspects to a covenant. There's a legal aspect. So you can almost think of a contract. But it's got terms. Hi, this is who I am, and this is what I'm going to do. Oh, and this is who you are, and this is what you're going to do. Promise? Yeah, I promise. And then in the old days, you cut up an animal and split the sides and walk through the middle. Because <laughs> that's how serious it is. If I break my promise, let me be like the sheep we just cut in half. That's what you're saying. Whoa. Serious promise of commitment. So it has a legal aspect. It's not vague. We know what we're doing. This is who you are. who I am. So what we're doing. It also has a relational aspect. We're committing to one another. We're going to live together with one another somehow. We're going to relate to one another. So where would you look for a modern or more normal view of covenant? I, the best one I can think of is marriage. I am in a covenant. When I got married, I did not say to Marsha that I'd hang out for a while while I felt like it. And that I'd just be a buddy sometimes or maybe this at other times or you know, whatever. No, that's not what I did. In front of my family, her family, the church, and man before God, I remember feeling that one. I said I would be her husband, which is a very specific thing, and I said I would do that until one of us died, no matter what the difficulty was, and I promised. Period, end of story. It's, it's so wonderful and glorious, but it's pretty serious too, isn't it? And it's not always easy. Covenant, and God relates to people in covenants. He, he made this up. He's always relating to people in covenants. You could talk about, there's several covenants in the Bible. It's covenant with Adam and Eve. It's covenant with Noah. It's covenant with Abraham. But today we're thinking specifically of two covenants. The one we call the Old Covenant is his covenant with Israel through Moses. You could also call it the law. His covenant with Israel through Moses, and then the New Covenant, which is what we'll think about, his covenant with his people through Christ. But first, for this text to make sense, we got to think about this Old Covenant through Moses. So I got a text for you. I think helps us kind of summarize this Old Covenant, what it's about. So put up Exodus nineteen four to six. So what did God say to Israel through Moses? You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. So what did God save Israel from recently in this passage? Slavery in Egypt, right? I I went and got you, you didn't save yourself, I went and got you, I saved you, and miraculously I brought you here. Now, they're, they're in front of this mountain, anybody remember what the mountain's doing at this point? It's like shaking, smoking, it's on fire, it's crazy. I brought you right here. Now therefore, verse five. Now therefore, key word, what's the next word? If, if what? If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession among all peoples. For the earth is mine and you will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Awesome. What an identity they could have, kingdom of priests and a holy nation, but what do they have to do? Obey and keep my voice. Do you hear the covenant? It's the covenant of the law. The theologians call it the covenant of works. If you keep the covenant, you can be my people. Sweet. Awesome. His, his law, his life is life His good. All the commands are good. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's a wonderful way to live. If you keep it, you're, you can be the treasured possession. This is, this is great, except for that word, if, <laughs> that was kind of the, uh, there's way more you could say, obviously. That's kind of a summary of how the Old Covenant um, works. And Paul's point in verses 7 and following here is that the Old Covenant had some glory to it. Now, remember, what's Glory the awe the splendor the majesty of God. I mean, come on, when you read the Old Testament, haven't you wished sometimes you could go back and see some of this stuff? It's just whoo, so raw and so powerful and so so obvious, so explicit. The mountain shaking, God's presence, terrifying, awesome. But for our for our sake right now, Paul takes us to kind of maybe for us is maybe kind of a weird place. Look in your Bibles at 2 Corinthians 3. Verse 12. I'll come back to the other part in a second. But look where Paul goes. Since we have such a hope, 2 Corinthians 3 verse 12, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would what? Put a veil over his face so the Israel- Israelites wouldn't gaze. So <laughs> sometimes we're like, what? Why did you bring this up? Anybody with me on that one? When I read this text the first time, you know, it's one that I've read this before, oh yeah, remember, and you just plow on because you're just reading it. But when you gotta preach it, it's a little different. (laughs) The, what the veil over his face. So let's go back and see that story. Let's, Let's try to figure out what's going on here. Exodus 34, put that one on for me. Now just in context in Exodus 32, Moses is up on the mountain. He hasn't been back for a while. And the people are like, yo, we need somebody who's going to be with us. And they have the brilliant idea of making a cow to worship. And we're laughing because, ha, who wants to worship a cow? Well, for Egyptian culture, the culture they came out of, the bull is a symbol of, of strength and power. But still, yeah, it's stupid. Psalm 106.20, they exchange the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. I'm pretty sure the psalmist is making fun of them at that point. What a trade, you know? It's not even a real cow. At least a real cow can give you like steak and milk. An image of a cow is just nothing. And you traded God out for the image of a cow. Well, okay, modern application, welcome to our idolatry. What did you trade God out for? I traded God out for a really bad girlfriend in college. That's what I did. I have traded him out for the, uh, the pleasure of what some friends or some crowd has wanted me to do. I've, tr- I've traded him out for all sorts of stupid things, things I don't even care about right now. I bet you have too, that's the human heart, it's idolatry. I'm looking for glory, but I won't find it the only place where it really is, so I'm gonna trade that out. I'm gonna make a cow and bow before it. Good grief. Anyway, that's Exodus 32. God graciously forgives them and renews the covenant. So again, Moses goes up on the mountain, and the point here is he writes the law again on the tablets. Where's the law? Tablets. You need that for later in this text. Where's the law? Tablets. Tablets. Anyway, he comes back down. Look at Exodus 34, 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know. What did he not know? The skin of his face shone because he'd been talking with God. God. Aaron and all people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone. And what was their response? They were afraid to come near him. So, um, first of all, he's up with God, seeing things, seeing amazing things, and he's, it's changing him. Remember what you behold, you become like. And I love that Moses didn't know it, because he wasn't looking at himself and going, oh, look how much I've changed. He was looking at God. And that's what changed him. But then everybody else noticed. And now notice the Israelites' response. Can we go up there too? Is that what they say? Hide that. You scare me to death. Hide that away. So, what, what does Moses have to put on himself? The veil. So, what's the, what's the veil do in the story? The veil hides the glory the veil hides the glory can't see it continue on in verse 34 this is the way it rolls so i got exodus 34 verse 34 whenever moses went in before the lord to speak with him what would he do remove the veil so he's going into the tabernacle and he would go in and speak with god the veil's off what's moses seeing the glory of god Until he came out, when he came out and told the people what was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face again was what? Shining. But what would Moses do again? Put the veil over his face. Take the veil off, see the glory. Put the veil on, hide the glory. All right, now let's sit in our passage here in Corinthians for a second. Look at verse seven, that's where our text for the morning started. Paul is talking about the old covenant through Moses, the law, if you obey me, you can be my people. There was some glory there, a lot of glory. But look at verse seven, now if the ministry of, what does he call it? Death, wow, carved in letters, where was it carved? On stone. Why is the ministry death? The law is good, right? The glory of God is good, right? Ten Commandments are good. It's so good, but it's death. Why is it death? Well, where'd the law stay? The law stayed on the stone. It stayed in the book, and it never got here. And this is really the point of the old covenant, the covenant of works. It's to show you, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do it, you've just, you've, you've, you break the law, and it's because your heart never got changed, you can try to follow some religious rules and memorize some stuff, yeah, okay, re- external stuff, but the, the real you never got changed, so it, this kills you, and then look at verse 9, look at what Paul calls it, for if there was glory in the ministry of what condemnation. What did the Old Covenant do? It killed them and condemned them because the law stayed on the rock and never hit the heart. And when they saw the glory, they didn't say, I want it. They said, hide it. I'm scared of it. I can't handle it. And so they deserve condemnation. what's, What's the ultimate crime, right? The ultimate crime is to devalue the valuable. That's why murder deserves a bigger punishment than stealing a television, because what has more value, the television or the human life? The life, so the greater the value of what you sin against, the harsher the penalty that justice demands it. Okay, what's the greatest value, period, ever? God himself? And what have we demeaned and diminished A billion times over. God Himself. What do we deserve? (laughs) Condemnation. Wow. So the old covenant had glory, it led to death. So what's Paul saying? We need a new one. (laughs) How do we get these two things echoing in this passage? the law stayed on the rocks not in the hearts and the glory was denied and diminished hidden how do we get what new hearts where we love god's law and the veil comes off to where we can see his glory how do we do it cuz paul says you know the problem didn't end with the people back in exodus Look what he says in chapter 3, verse 14. Their minds were hardened for to this day when they read the old covenant, what? The same veil remains unlifted. So anybody trying to get right with God through law or through works or through deeds still can't see any glory. Anybody trying to make it on their own, still blind, hard, look at the key, end of verse 14, because only through Christ is it taken away. Jesus fulfilled this whole thing. He kept the law. Did anybody love the glory of the Father more than Jesus? I read John 12. He's about to hit crucifixion. What shall I I say? He says, Uh, Father, get me out of here? No, he says, Father, glorify your name. I'll go to the cross for your glory. That's a man who loves God's glory, the Father's glory. He kept the law, and it's through him. The veil is removed, the heart is changed. So we we looked at the old covenant, right? If you keep the law, you can be my people. Look at Romans 4, 5 now. Maybe, uh, there's way more to say, maybe one little nugget to summarize the new covenant, remember a covenant is a legal and a relational aspect. Look at Romans 4 5, just in comparison to the law. Remember, in, in the law it was, if you keep the commands, you can be my people. And that's why verse 5 is so shocking. Romans 4 verse 5, and to the one who what? Does what? Not work. Does not work. So what good things did this person do in Romans 4 5? Nothing. Not only that, the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies thee, what? Ungodly. Did not work is ungodly. Bad person, disobedient person. But, here's the stipulation, covenant stipulation. And to the one who does not work but... Believes in him. Believes in him. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. To the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteous. I broke the law. I got I can't make it. I did what do I do? Somebody kept it for you. What do you do? Trust him. Trust Jesus who lived a perfect life for you, who died on the cross in your place to pay for your sin, who rose from the dead in victory, trust him and God will count you righteous. Trust him and God will count it as if, even though you haven't done any work, he'll count it as if you've done all the work because Jesus' work is given to you. Are you kidding me? That's amazing. Count you as righteous. He'll adopt you. Oh. And so now we're, we're getting this picture. Listen, Paul says, if the ministry of death had glory, right? That's his point in verses 7 to 11. If the old covenant had glory, Moses went to see it, right? He's glowing. The mountain's on fire. It has glory. God saved him from Egypt. It has so much glory. God's there. If it had glory, you think this new one has less glory? You think you're getting a secondhand deal in the new covenant? No, infinitely more glory. The old covenant leaves us guilty. The new covenant, it's the covenant of righteousness. Verse nine, if there's glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Where was the law left in the old covenant? On the rocks, on the stone. Where's the law now in the new covenant? Look up at 2 Corinthians three, verse three. Paul says to this church, and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but what? With the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but where? On tablets of hearts, that the law, that God himself would come and tattoo this on your deepest self. You would love God's law. It's transformation through trusting in Christ the new covenant. And so there's so much more glory. The old covenant leaves us guilty. New covenant makes us righteous. The old covenant had our hearts hard. The new covenant has the law in our hearts. The Old Testament was up to you and your willpower according to the law. And the new covenant, who do you have? The ministry of the Spirit. The Spirit of God. With us. We studied him last week. Our paraclete. If you want to listen to that, it's online. Here's what the Spirit gives us in this passage. Verse 12. Since we have such a what? Hope. We are very bold. Hope of what? In context, what he's talking about? The old covenant had... What did you say 12 times? Glory, 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 glory. Veil problem, can't see the glory. Ah, but now with the covenant, we have such a hope. Romans 5, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We have a hope. What's the hope? What can can you see? What can you see? Glory. We're bold and the Israelites, the, the veil's on Moses' face. Ah, put it away. scaring me to death. New covenant, what are we doing? I want in. <laughs> I want in. I'm, I'm walking through. And so many images come to mind, don't they? Jesus says, it is finished. What happens in the temple? Gospel of Matthew. What happens to the, the Holy of Holies? <laughs> the veil's shut. So what can you do? Go. Go in. Go in. Bold. Bold, because verse 16, "When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. The veil is removed." Now look at verse 17. "When the, the Lord is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom." This is tricky work in the Greek language. Who's, which one's the Lord, and who's the spirit and how's it work? I'm giving you my best here, okay. Um, Paul loves to just talk about the Trinity. And just like thrown, just, it, kind of, it kind of just explodes out of him. And so, one God, three persons. Which, which one is the Lord? Yeah, right? Totally unified, distinct in person, one God, three persons. The Lord is spirit. The Father ordained your salvation to see him. The, the Father sent the Son to accomplish your salvation To see him. The son sent the spirit to apply your salvation to to see him. When Moses was seeing the glory of God, the Holy Spirit. And where the the Lord is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is. Here's the point. In the new covenant, you have the Holy Spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. You've been set free. You've been enabled to do something. You have a new liberty. Liberty. This is one of those themes that's highly abused. Christian freedom, and we think it means like a get out of jail free card to do anything. In context, that's not what it's saying at all. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. What's the freedom? Well, what was what was the what was the inhi- inhibitor earlier? What's the what's the obstacle that's keeping us back in this passage? The veil, and what does the veil do? It hides the glory. And now with the Spirit, we're free. Free to do what? To see the glory of the Lord. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And look at verse 18. And we all, we all, who got to see it in Exodus 34? Just Moses. But now what do we get to do? We all, we all get to go in with unveiled face. What? Beholding the glory of the Lord. Beholding the glory of the Lord. The Greek word beholding is like behold as if in a mirror. They didn't have mirrors like we do back then, but they would shine a piece of metal or something. But the idea here is that we ever had those weird moments you're driving in the car and you see your face in the side view mirror? Maybe I'm just gonna embarrass myself right here. And you like notice yourself and you just, you look at yourself and you think, oh, I'm, I'm getting old or I'm beautiful or there you are, you're looking at yourself, you're aware of yourself. But it's, I, I think the point here is there's an intimacy to your, okay, today's world, I'm sorry, we have to do it, right? Beholding as if in a smartphone. What's the idea? Okay, you seen the commercial? Oh, really? You're gonna look at your phone right now? The the person's out of the park with their lover and they're looking at the phone or they're playing catch with their kid and they're looking at the phone and we're all like, please, stop. Okay, but what's the point? What's What's the issue with us and our phones? We're mesmerized and we stare into it, kind of forgetting everything else around us. Okay, it can be a negative, take it to a positive. Who are we looking at? Jesus, we're mesmerized, and we keep staring, and we become a little bit oblivious in a way to everything around us because we're seeing the glory of the Lord. It's like an, it's the idea of, of of intimacy and deep focus, beholding again and again and again. It's not once; it's again and again and again. And what are you looking at when you behold the glory of the Lord? Put 2 Corinthians 4, 6 up just to make it super plain. How do you see the glory of the Lord? 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, this is the next chapter. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Love that, that's God at creation, right? Let there be light, and what happened? Puzzow, light. God did that in our hearts. Let there be light, and all of a sudden, what's shining in our hearts? He's shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. You wanna see God's glory, where do you look? Jesus, you look at Jesus. The Spirit frees us to see God's glory in the face of Christ. The law becomes more than a book The Bible becomes more than a book. C.S. Lewis has this illustration of uh, if you walk into an old shed maybe, and it's kind of dark in the room, and there's a beam of light coming through the crack. And you could see, and from one perspective as you walk in, you can see the beam of light. The other perspective would be to go and stick your head under the beam of light and look out up through the hole and see the sky. The Bible's like that beam of light. You can look at the Bible, and you have to. You can study it. You can think about what it means. Ideas will come into your mind. That's good. It's important. But what the Spirit does is he enables you not just to look at the Bible, but to look through the Bible and see God himself. It's exactly what it's meant to be. The Bible coming alive. The God written about being your God. We've seen it in the Psalms. David says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. You could talk about God, the Lord, but all of a sudden, you are my Lord. Looking at the Bible and its truth, looking through the Bible and its truth to God himself. The Spirit enables us to see Jesus. And guess what transforms us? Verse 18, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. It's progressive, right? It doesn't happen all at once. It's not a one-time thing. Your justification is, by the way, it's really important. You trust Jesus, bam, totally righteous, totally adopted, totally right with God, you're standing transformed, bam, instantaneously perfect, you are made right through Jesus Christ. It happened before you did a good thing. And then this next thing, beholding the Lord, keep looking at him, keep looking at him, slowly but definitely changed. How do you get transformed? How do you get transformed? Through the Spirit, you behold Jesus. That's how. Through the Spirit, you behold Jesus. You gaze. You look. You see. You resemble what you worship. The more you think Jesus is amazing, the more you're going to look like him. You become like that which you behold. The more you look at Jesus, the more you're going to be like him. We all know we're supposed to evangelize, right? Go evangelize. Law. Tell the world the gospel. Okay. When are you more likely to do that? Man, I'm high in the beauty of the Lord. I wish everybody knew him. I'm so amazed by his grace. Can I just tell you about him? He is the truth. I'm ready to tell you about him. I've been looking at him. You've got to see it before you share it. You gotta serve, right? Serve, serve again, serve some more. Some of you, you serve and you serve and you serve and you serve and you serve. Sometimes when you're tired and you serve, it's getting bitter, you're chewing on sand, you're serving, I'm so tired of serving. How do I keep doing this? You gotta see. You gotta see the Lord take off his coat and wash those losers' feet. You gotta see him, you gotta see him on a cross for you. Oh, when you see him again, when you see him, when you behold him, You'll serve. Beholding is first. That's what transforms you. Look, and the beauty is you're free to look. You know, Moses' face glowed when he saw the glory of the Lord. Look what Jesus says to his people in Matthew five fourteen. You are the light of the world. We don't need to scare anybody with our, uh, you know, Glowing faces. We need to show people our glowing lives. But don't you do this without doing the first thing look and behold. Behold. So, how do we do this practically? We're saved to see, right? That's at the heart of transformation. We are saved to see. I got a few applicational thoughts for us, and I want to do it from Psalm 27. Look with me at Psalm 27. The heart of David remember we unlock this passage by seeing it through the Lord Jesus verse 27 verse 4 what does the author say one thing I've asked of the Lord and that I will seek so what's it mean to seek I want this one thing I'm asking for that's what I want the most I'm seeking it I'm going after it and what does he want that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all my life Two, so I wanna be with him, so that I can do what? Gaze upon his beauty. And inquire in his temple so he can, hum, he can tell me how to, how to live in the light of his beauty. I just wanna see him. And Paul is telling you, if you trust Christ, you are free. All the veils are off. You're free to see him. Go look. Go seek. And I love in verse eight of this same psalm, the author says to to God, God, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face do I seek. I'm coming. I want to see you. I'm coming. Our memory verse this month has been, what's the word? Something yourself for godliness. Train. 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 You want to see? Work to see. Why do you think we have to work? Well, the Bible tells you you have three enemies, and they're not small ones. World, flesh, and the devil, okay? <laughs> These are tough cookies. The world is the entire system around us. It's like don't look at Jesus. Why would you do that? Look at this instead. Look at me. Look at me. That's what the word. Look at me instead. This is this instead. If you don't, if you don't work, what? Oh, the flesh. There's part of your own heart still that doesn't want to look. Part of you, you, you. We sing that song, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Right. There's part of you that's like ah, world of flesh and the devil. He doesn't want you to to look either. So what do you have to do? Sorry, you're not gonna coast into this. Train yourself. I'm gonna look. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna seek. This conversation could take a long time, so I'm just, this is not everything, this is just a couple things. Last week we talked some about meditation. I think this is still the issue. Meditation, it's, obviously there's, there's one major way to see Jesus, and it's kind of fundamental, it's kind of ultimate. If you're not seeing the Jesus of Scripture, it may not be Jesus you're where do you are seeing. Where did the Holy Spirit write, paint you a picture, right? It's the Spirit's book. Where did he paint you a picture of Jesus Christ? The Bible. There he is, all over the place. There he is. So where are you going to see by the power of the Holy Spirit? you're going to see Jesus through his word, through his word. So we need to learn, I mean, yes, read your Bible, but don't just look at the beam of light, right? Look through the beam of light by the power of the Holy Spirit to meditate on Jesus from his word. And and meditate, it's like, it's like coffee. (laughs) The hot water goes through the beans and gets changed, okay? But you got to percolate there. Percolate in God's word. So you're, you're thinking about it. You're chewing on it. You're asking the Holy Spirit to show you. You're asking questions of the text. You're um, you're looking at it like you read your article on your smartphone. You're, uh, as we saw last week, that, that author said, if you know how to be anxious, you know how to meditate. <laughs> when you're worried about something, you're turning over this fear that, of what might happen over and over again in your mind until it's changing your emotions. <laughs> Do that with truth of Christ. There's an article out there on the table about solitude, the discipline of solitude that... Many Christians and Jesus himself found necessary. Where would Jesus go before he made big decisions or when he wanted to? He's going out to the mountains. I think he likes the beauty of what he made. That's part of it. But the second thing is, what does he have to do? He has to get away from all the noise so that he can behold when he needs to see. We have it worse than he does in this day and age. How are you going to get away to see what you need to be looking at? When are you going to put away the noise so you can behold? And the third one I'll mention for now is what we're going to do next. We're going to sing. We behold the Lord as we treasure his truth in community together. We're all going to be singing these words. We're going to be singing about what we have in Christ. So, behold him with the eyes of your heart as we sing. Behold what he's done And then we proclaim it out together. We sing it out so we can enjoy him again and be changed. Let's pray. We want to see, Lord. Like Moses, we we say, show me your glory. Show me your glory. We want to see. We want to see you in the face of Christ. So we wanna seek after you, Lord, we wanna train ourselves. We wanna go after you and see this glory, see this beauty in Jesus Christ. So Holy Spirit, we just give ourselves to you, do your work, you've set us free, let us see. Take us to your book, Uh, take us to who you are, let us see and let us be changed. Jesus, we wanna see you and uh, be satisfied in your beauty, your holiness, and be changed. It's your work in us, Lord, we just, we bring ourselves to it, help us to train ourselves to go after it, to seek it. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.